Well, this morning we're going to stick with the theme of our current study in Romans, but we're going to do that by looking at a passage in the book of Galatians. Yeah, if you were here with us uh, last week, or maybe I should say if you weren't here with us last week, um, I'm going to go ahead and read the the last three verses, the only three verses that we went through last week. You can continue to turn to Galatians. But let me read uh, Romans 7, verses 4 through 6, which is what we looked at last week. It said, So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when you were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to to what once bound us, that's the law by the way, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. That's what we spent our time studying this last Sunday. And as you can see, Paul is dealing with the question, and more so with the Jewish believers there in Rome, okay? But he's dealing here with the question of how or if the law, the Mosaic law, fits into my relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? Now, our text this morning is going to be in Galatians chapter 2. It's going to be in verses 15 through 21. But before we look at that, I would like to read just a few of the previous verses. It may be a familiar text for some of you. But let me read verses 11 through 14, because this is what Paul is actually going to respond to in our text this morning. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it says... When Peter came to Antioch, I, meaning Paul, opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he, me, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. And by the way, he did that by his actions, not his words, but his actions. Well, what in the world happened to Peter? And don't for a think that don't for a second think that good old Peter just made an honest mistake here. Peter, as you can see, caved into the peer pressure and he played the hypocrite. Peter had no problems with Jews and Gentiles sharing a meal together. We see that there at the beginning of verse 12. There wasn't any kind of a stink as to what kind of food that they can eat. 
Matter of fact, Peter, more than any of the other apostles, knew that Christ said, all foods are now clean. And for that matter, all believers are now equal. So what happened? Well, the very presence of this uh, so-called circumcision group, whom we know to be the Judaizers, they had moved Peter to hypocrisy. Verse 12 says Peter was afraid of these men. Now, it's no doubt uh, it's because Peter knew that they believed in adding the Mosaic law to their faith in Christ. That made him a little uncomfortable. That made him a little stressed. And so it says he was afraid. And so their very presence of this group brings enough fear into Peter, as verse 12 says, to to draw him back and separate himself from the Gentiles. In other words, he stopped sharing a meal with them. He stopped eating with them. And so by doing such a stupid thing, Peter is indirectly teaching others that maybe, you know what, maybe there still is a separation between Jew and Gentile. Because that's what people are seeing, right? Instead of acting on the truth, Peter responded in fear. Just from their presence, he felt the pressure to stop eating with his Gentile buddies. And not only that, but as verse 13 says, there were other Jews that were there with Peter, and they also withdrew from eating with the Gentiles. And when they saw Peter's response to the presence of the Judaizers, they too did the exact same thing, right? So Peter's actions already drew other Jews astray. Matter of fact, it then said to the point about doing this even led Barnabas astray. They're all just kind of following Peter and what he was doing. Now, folks, these are people who have confessed, some of them have even taught that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. Yet, they were denying the truth by their conduct. Okay? And the reason I wanted to read this is because Paul is going to use this experience with Peter to make his point in the following verses. Okay? Paul is going to transition away from this story with Peter, yet use the story as a pretext to talk about justification by faith apart from the observation of the law. Okay, He's just simply going to use this, this incident with Peter as a springboard to go into deal with this subject matter. Now, some of the verses that we will look at this morning really do give us some of the most significant truths of Christianity. Paul clearly states the doctrine of justification by grace through faith and defends it not just over the observation of the law, but also this this traditional objection that somehow justification by faith leads to lawlessness or that somehow just believing in God's grace will lead to sin, or if you will, a sinful lifestyle. And so as Paul starts this section here in verse 15, he's going to put Jew and Gentile on the same level. Okay, Something you don't see Jews doing, by the way, very often. 
He's going to show that when it comes to salvation, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And this is very important, folks. They both come to Christ the same way. One doesn't come to Christ through the law and one through grace. There's only one way to Christ. And he's going to be very clear on that issue. So if you're there, read with me verses 15 to 21. Remember, we're just coming off of uh, this discussion that Paul had when dealing with Peter. He now says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, we, should, we, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Why? Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, he's talking about the law there, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. In other words, not the law. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So back up, if you would, to verse 15. And we begin here with Paul using a couple of terms, Jews by birth and Gentile sinners. You notice verse 15 is pretty short there. Okay. Now, looking at Gentile sinners first, keep in mind, these were two words uh, that were traditionally used synonymously. Okay. The word Gentile and sinners were traditionally used synonymously, just like the word Gentile and unclean, just like the word Gentile and dog. These things were used synonymously. And so in referring to the Gentiles as sinners, Paul's not, Paul's not using this term in a behavioral sense, as if they lived their lives in, in public immorality. He's using it in, a, in more of a legal sense, which is how it was frequently used by the Jews. In other words, in their minds, Gentiles were automatically sinners by nature because they had no law to guide them into right living. They had no law to help them to know how to please God, right? The law was given to the Jews, not the Gentiles. They had nothing in their minds. And therefore, this was a label that was given literally to anyone who was not a Jew, right? That's just how it works. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's how that works, okay? So you were a Gentile sinner. It's as if, as if to say you have no connection with God. On the flip side of that, Paul mentions there uh, that we, he mentions the term, we who are Jews by birth, okay? Now here, 
Uh, Paul uses the word we, so we know he's also talking about himself. He, I'm sure he's also talking about Peter because the discussion just moved on from there. And I'm sure there are other Jewish individuals there as well. But the mindset is that anyone who was a Jew by birth was blessed person. They were a blessed person. In other words, a Jew by birth is different. This is not talking about a proselyte. This is not somebody who converted to Judaism. This is a Jew by birth. These people were blessed, okay? Because they say you were born knowing the truth. You were born, they say, knowing the truth. I mean, think about it. Their ancestors were the patriarchs. It's another word for simply the first fathers. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? From the Jews, as you know, is traced the human ancestry to the Messiah. They were given the very word of God in the law. Those were God's standards. And of course, they knew what it was like to function, to live under the rules and the regulations of God. As you know, they were a theocracy, right? Well, with all this in their history, the Jews felt, and you probably knew this ahead of time, that they were special people, and therefore, they had a pass with God. As long as they obeyed the law, chuckle, chuckle, as long as they obeyed the law, they were heaven-bound. They believed that, okay? But what Paul is saying is that even with all of the hoopla about being born a Jew, with all the great things that they can say about being uh, part of God's chosen people, they too had to trust in Jesus Christ to be saved, just like the Gentiles. Okay? They could not be saved. Even the Jew could not be saved by observing the law. And of course, this is what Paul is saying here in response to what he said to Peter in verse 14. Okay, Now go back, read with me verse 15. I'll go right into verse 16. He says, We who are Jews by birth and not just Gentile sinners, we know, it, it can actually read, even we, even we know as Jews by birth that a man is not justified by observing the law. Even we know that, right? But by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Once again, why? Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now, I hope you understand that this verse, verse 16, is, is probably one of the most important verses of this entire epistle. This whole epistle is dealing with law versus grace, okay? The whole book of Galatians is dealing with But this is really one of the most important verses here in the epistle. He's saying here, if, if we as Jews, okay, we know if we as Jews cannot be saved by the law, how can we sit here and think that these Gentile sinners are going to be any different? Paul is scratching his head and he, it's like he's saying, what are we doing? Even us Jews know that trying to obey the law isn't going to get us anywhere. We've known it. We've tried it. History shows us that. 
So what Paul does is he brings in a very specific word here in verse 16. He he actually uses the word four times, three times just in verse 16, then one more in verse 17. And you might know what it is by now. You're looking, and it's the word justified. He uses the word justified. That's a very important uh, theological word. Okay? He says you are not justified by observing the law. But he says you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that's certainly something that we would want to understand, isn't it? The basic term there, justify, was a term that was originally used in a court of law. Right? This is how a judge would declare a person, uh, or maybe this was, this was how a judge would declare an accused person not guilty. He was accused of a crime. The judge would say, you are not guilty. Or he would basically say, you are right under the law. You're not guilty. You're right under the law. And therefore, to be declared righteous or to be found innocent is typically how we interpret that word today. It was basically the opposite of being condemned for a crime, or in our case, condemned for sin, right? You are set free from the charges that are brought against you. Expositor's commentary puts it this way, It expresses the judicial action of God apart from human merit, according to which the guilty are pardoned, they are acquitted, and then reinstated as God's children and as fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And so the the basic meaning of justification refers to God's declaring a sinner to be guiltless. They are right with God. Okay? Now, as you know, this is, this is a, a, an interesting position. Because righteousness, right? We're being declared righteous. Righteousness is a divine attribute of God. And since every one of us are sinners, we don't naturally possess it. We're not born with this attribute. And therefore, to be justified or to be declared righteous, we ha- it has to be imputed by God. It has to be credited to us, right? We can't get it, we can't earn it, can't work for it. It has to be credited to us. In other words, it doesn't just happen automatically because it's not something we deserve. Like I said before, it's not something we've earned, And therefore, verse 16 tells us how this is accomplished. If we can't get it that way, how is it accomplished? Well, what does he say? He says it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Remember who he's talking to here in this passage. He says it must be by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is not some kind of blind faith. It's a faith that begins with knowledge. It is a faith that is built on fact. And this implies an act of personal commitment. We have to run to him for refuge. We have to run to him for mercy. I hope you thank God for his mercy. 
It's just like that judge in a court of law. See, we're trusting in what he has done for us since we could never do it ourselves. We can't. It's impossible. And this is how Paul can make that monumental statement there at the end of verse 16 where he boldly tells these Galatians, by observing the law, what does he say? No one, absolutely zip, not a single person will be justified by observing the law. The bottom line is that the law does not need to be forced on these Jews, and it certainly does not need to be forced on the Gentiles. No amount of law-keeping can make a person righteous because the root of sin, this is important, the root of sin, folks, comes from our hearts, doesn't it? It's not our actions. The root of sin comes from our heart. You can't just do something righteous and somehow wipe out an unrighteous act. People think that, right? That God has some big scale in heaven, right? He's just, okay, I've done more good than bad. You you can't just wipe things out. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20, he says, it's the words you speak come from your heart. He says, that is what defiles you. Catch that? The words come from your heart, and that's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. He says these are what defile you. Because it it, it starts here. That's what it is. It just comes out in our actions. But the problem is going on here, right? Man's problem is who he is, not necessarily what he does, What he does is because of who he is. Therefore, there's no law, not even God's law, that can conform our nature to comply with his. Now, as Paul moves into the next verse, he's going to use this as a springboard to respond to one of the arguments from his opponents. Okay? Notice verse 17. He says, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, if it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? And he says, well, absolutely not. Now, the argument here is that if one gets rid of the law, okay, and wants to be justified by faith, That encourages godless living. That's the argument. That's what they're saying. If you walk away from the law and want to be saved by grace, that's just encouraging godless living because there would be no law. That's what we call antinomianism, right? Antinomos, no law. You understand, if we see it on the news sometimes when people are just getting rid of police officers, getting rid of rules, getting rid of judges, all these things. What, ha- what do people do? They just live in complete filth and squalor and robbery and rape and murder because that's what people do when there's no law, right? Therefore, th- th- this is basically what a Judaizer would say. They would say, well, your doctrine of justification by faith is dangerous, they would say. For by eliminating the law, you also eliminate a man's sense of moral responsibility. 
If a person can be accounted righteous simply by believing that Christ died for him, why then should he bother to keep the law? Or for that matter, why should he bother to live by any standard of morality? There is no need to be good. The result of your doctrine is that men will believe in Christ, but thereafter do as they desire. The bottom line, folks, is this view, the bottom line with this view is that if we simply get rid of the law and trust in Christ, then he is promoting sin, right? Because he's saying here, that's what the end result would be. If that's what the end result is going to be, they say, then he's promoting it. Because he's the one who's saying, you don't have to live by the law. You place your faith in me. Paul's response, obviously, at the end of verse 17, is absolutely not. He probably wanted to add something like, that's ridiculous. Sin is not the result of the doctrine of justification by faith. Matter of fact, if anything, it's just the opposite, isn't it? And I mentioned this last week in our study in Romans. A man is the one who is responsible for his sin. We, us, we are responsible for our own sin. The whole, you know, Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, doesn't fly. It may be funny, but it doesn't fly. And secondly, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, notice it says the sinful passions are aroused in us by what? The law! Sinful passions aren't aroused in us because we can be justified by faith. It's because of the law, because we want to rebel against the law. See, it's just the opposite of what they're saying. Notice verse 18. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Let me read that in the New Living Translation because it squares it up a little easier. He says, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I tore down. Okay? Basically, he's saying, if I walked away from the law to grace, he says, I'm the sinner if I go back to the law. Okay? So his argument is saying that abandoning the law for grace is not promoting sin. No, on the contrary, one becomes a sinner by returning to the very law that he abandoned. If someone tries to rebuild a system of legalism, a system of works, after he has destroyed it by believing and some of them even preaching the gospel, he's proving that he is the lawbreaker. He demonstrates himself to be a hypocrite and a sinner by abandoning God's grace for the law. And if you listen to that, that's really nothing more but a poke at Peter. Because that's exactly what Peter did by his actions. The Judaizers looked at the doctrine of justification as basically cheap grace, a license to sin. What they didn't understand was that to trust in Christ also was a transformation on the inside. They didn't quite understand that. Folks, this is why, in case you didn't know, you know the, the Gospel of Matthew was written to the Jews. 
So when you go back and you read, you can see what Jesus told these Jews in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you'll see how Jesus nails them on this issue. Okay? We also have verses like, like uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? We all know that one. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Not might be, not could be, not should be. He is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. See, there's a difference within us. And that, that changed life is, of course, the evidence of one's salvation. It's not just something we say. It's, it's very real. It's proven. It's shown in our lives. See, it's not proven by uh, just because uh, uh, I, I prayed a prayer or I said I believed in, in Jesus or because I raised my hand after the, you know, the 54th verse of just as I am. The evidence is a transformed heart and therefore a transformed life. Who a person is, as you know, is reflected in how they live their life. Go back to the text. Paul says in verse 18, and I'm going to go right into verse 19. If I rebuild what I have destroyed, in other words, if I go back to the law after I've chosen grace, he says, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Verse 19, for through the law, he says, I died to the law. The word for there can also be translated because. Because the law, or because of the law, I died to the law. So that I might live for God. So he says, for through the law, right? Or if you will, because of the law, I died to the law. Okay? It's because of the law that I left the law. You understand? It's because of the law, what it did to me, that's the reason I left. The law is not a way of life. The law is a way of death. Why? Because what does it do to every single human being? It condemns us all. That's what the law does. It just condemns us. It tells us on and on we're sinners. Paul is saying the law showed me that I was a sinner and therefore I deserve death. It did so every single day. So Paul is saying, what did I do? I therefore ceased my relationship with the law. Or if you want to say it, I died to it. The law just proved to me that I can't keep it. Instead, I placed my trust in Christ, who alone could pay for my sin, which was what? Death. It was death. The law proved that's what he deserved. Because that's what the law does. It continues to repeatedly tell us, you failed. You failed again. You failed again. That's what it does. Paul's whole point here, folks, is that being under the law proved to him that he could not be saved by the law. Okay? Placing yourself under the law just proved to him that I can't be saved by it. So when he died to it, when he ceased this relationship with the law, he's saying it, uh, it is no longer, I am no longer under its power. Because now what does he say in that verse? He says, now I can live for God. Placing yourself under the law just says, screwed up, failed, sin, 
blaspheme, heretic, whatever, it just continues to hammer you. Once I left the law, once I died to the law, because I finally realized I couldn't keep it, now, he says, I can live for God. Now I can live for God. Living under the law prevented him from living a life of unreserved devotion to God. When you have time, I don't have time this morning, go back and read Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. Go back and read our text from last week, Romans 7, verses 4 through 6. There is no reason whatsoever to go back to the law. Everything we need to, quote, live for God is in Christ. Everything. Now, as Paul goes into verse 20, he's telling these Galatians that when it comes to living for God, you could, that can only be accomplished, okay, through being tied or, or being knit together with Christ. Now, this next verse is one I, I want you to listen to, I want you to pay attention to. It's quoted a lot, and, and, but it's quoted on its own. It's not quoted necessarily in the context of the passage. But now that we've been going through the passage, hopefully it'll, you'll think about it a little bit. But I'm going to read verse 20 where Paul says, Listen, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I'm going to add this. I don't live by the law. That's kind of what he means by that. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying when Christ died, he died. When Christ rose, he rose. We know that because we studied that in Romans 6, right? Not too long ago. Folks, the demands of the law were satisfied, okay, through his death, right? When Christ died, I died. The demands of the law were met, and they no longer have a hold on me, Paul says, because of death. Now, he says, Christ lives out his life through me as I walk by faith, right? Faith, not as I walk by the law, as I walk by faith. He's saying this is the Christian life. I live by faith. Then what does he say? He says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Remember, this is a response to what's going on here in our context. Oh, you don't live by the law, you're going to live in sin. No, I'm not, really. It's contrary to that. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. You might want to say Christ lives through me. When you have time, go back to read Romans 6, verses 4 through 10. He's telling them that life is not a set of rules and regulations. It's not trying to gain everything through my own personal ability. That's the law, of course. He said that is not life. The life he is now living, he is living through the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ within him, Paul says. Right? When Paul was, quote, crucified with Christ, think about it, folks. He's saying, I'm still living. Right? I was crucified with Christ, but I'm still living. But now I live by faith. 
I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. I'm still cruising. But I do it by faith. He says back in verse 20, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. The very life that I live. Right? He's got two choices. Live by works or live through faith in Christ. Those are his two choices. He says, I choose to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So it is faith and not obedience to the law that releases a divine power to live the Christian life. Start posting all your, uh, the law on your walls in your house, and every day you're going to come back in. If you choose to read them all, it's just going to continue to show you your screw-up, which we are. We all are. See? But we live by faith by that. And don't forget, by the way, in our text last week in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, we ended on this verse. He says, we have been released from the law, We've been released from the law, and now we serve in a new way of the Spirit. Right? God was gracious enough to give us his Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier today, God didn't say, all right, you're saved. Here you go. And the best of luck to you. Oh, we would all fail quickly. He gave us his word. He gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live this Christian life, didn't he? If Christ loved me enough to give himself for me, then he loves me enough to live out his life in me. Once again, he doesn't just die for me and say good luck. He's going to help me to live that life. See? If you ever need one reason to be obedient to God, how about... He loved me and gave himself for me. It's not putting the law up there. Well, how do you live for God? Because he loved me and he died for me. That's why. Go back and read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a great section of scripture to memorize, actually. Short text. It shows from beginning to end, from heaven to the cross, what Jesus died for us. And then lastly, in verse 21, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God for or because if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. When he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, He's basically saying, I'm not going to cave to these false teachers like you have. In context, that's what he's talking about. I'm not going to cave to the false teachers as you have, to these Judaizers. Why? Because then I would be admitting, if I did what Peter just kind of showed them, I'd be admitting that obedience to the law is the only way to go, right? Right? If I deserted grace and say, oh man, I must be, I need, I need to live by the law, then you're, you're trying to show that the law is the only way. And he says, no, I'm not doing that. Secondly, like he says in this verse, to do that, 
To set aside grace and to feel like you need to be obedient to the law is to say that Christ died for nothing. If someone preaches that Christ died for our sins and still teaches that we need to be obedient to the law, then Christ's death was for no cause. If I could just earn my way, live my way through this, then, then what's the point of Christ dying? That'd be like the, the dumbest mistake ever to happen in the history of the planet. Oh, geez, didn't have to die, didn't have to suffer. Well, we did because you can't make it the other way. If God has us to obey his law, then why did God send Jesus to die? Folks, adding anything to Christ is taking away from his grace. And what he did was 100% grace. It's 100% a gift. Not 1% was earned. Nothing. And this is what Paul has shown us in these last few verses. The gospel is one of grace. The gospel is one of faith. And listen, the gospel is one of freedom. Freedom. That's the opposite of the law. Freedom. Folks, whenever you have the opportunity defend, defend the gospel. All of us are going to have people we run into, we work with, or maybe just a friend who somehow believes, if they don't believe in Christ, they believe in works. It doesn't matter. There is no other way. But they somehow believe, uh, I'm good enough to get to heaven, or I'm a pretty good person, or you know, whatever way they want to phrase that, that's the perfect time to defend the gospel. Because whatever they choose, whatever the words they use, oh, I think I'll make it, I'm better than the next guy, I do a lot of good things, I give to the poor, I help with the soup kitchen, it doesn't matter what it is. They're all works mindset of somehow I'm going to make it. And that's when you stop and say, no, let me, let me share with you what the gospel is. The gospel is, is by faith, it's by God's grace through faith, and it gives freedom. See, that's the perfect time to defend it which is kind of what Paul is doing right here. Unfortunately, he happened to be doing it because of something stupid that Peter did. Folks, the law had a purpose, and that was to lead us to Jesus Christ. It was to condemn us. It was to show them that us that we're sinners. It cannot save us, and it cannot transform us. Do we understand that? The law could not, cannot save us, and it 100% cannot transform us. Placing your faith in Christ alone is what transformed you into the person that you are today. And there's no other way that can happen. And Paul wants to make it as crystal clear as possible. So we never, ever doubt it, never think otherwise. Right? Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the bluntness. We thank you for the boldness of Paul and even confronting his own brother and Peter. But Lord, even confronting others. He didn't seem to back down from anybody, Lord. He stood up for the gospel on all accounts. 
Never one single tiny thing would he add to the gospel. Matter of fact, he said here in this book alone, in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6, let, let the person who adds to this be eternal damnation, anathema. That is how important the gospel of grace, the gospel of freedom, the gospel of faith is. If there was something we can do, then Christ did not need to die. Lord, help us to understand that fully. And I think when we do that, we will lean more towards you. We would thank you more. We would praise you more. We would honor you more, knowing that 100% of salvation, Jew or Gentile, is through Jesus Christ. It is by grace, through faith. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for accepting us. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to do it this way. You didn't even have to give us this opportunity, but you did. We thank you for um, just giving us that time to, to come to know you. Let me give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.